This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith. Mike Slater, thanks so much for being here. If you're new to the podcast, the point here is that I get way too anxious about the news. And I don't want to be anymore. So what we do is we present a problem an anxiety-creating story that's in the news, and then provide some historical perspective and biblical peace to hopefully make all of that anxiety wash away. I want to get right to this story because we're not really talking about this issue now. I, I don't know if it's getting drowned out by the midterms. We should be talking about it as a midterm issue because it's that awful. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, it's a nationwide test, Eighth graders, 26% are proficient in math. 26% of eighth graders are proficient. Now, this is being framed by the media that does talk about it as, uh, well, this is the effects of COVID. And, and it is. These scores are down. But in 2019, only 34% of kids were proficient in math. So it's not like we were knocking out a bunch of Einsteins three years ago. Eighth grade reading, only 31% can read. Only 31% of eighth graders can read. So that means if you line up 10 average eighth graders, only three of them are able to read. How do you think the rest are going to do in high school? How do you think the rest are going to do in life? This is not, by the way, evil conservative saying that this is bad. Miguel Cardona, he's the Secretary of Education, said, I want to be very clear. The results in today's national report card are appalling and unacceptable. This is a moment of truth for education. How we respond to this will determine not only our recovery, but our nation's standing in the world. Now, his solution, of course, is more money. It's more money, raise taxes, more union control, more of all the things that got us here. No one in the Democratic Party and very few in the Republican Party are talking about a full transformation. Not, not transformation, like blow it all to smithereens and start from scratch. That's the only way out. And you know the system is ridiculous because if you were to start a system from scratch, you would never create an education system that looks like this. But that's what we have. And it's impossible, almost seemingly impossible to make any real changes. How bad does it have to be? How bad does it have to be? 31% of eighth graders reading. So 69% so can't read. That's not bad enough. It didn't used to be this bad. <laughs> we need to know that. It didn't, this is not normal. The great Thomas Sowell has written a lot about this. Let me quote from him. He says, back in 1899, over 100 years ago, in Washington, D.C., there were four academic public high schools, one black and three white. In standardized tests given that year, 1899, students in the black high school averaged higher test scores than students in two of the three white high schools. 
He said, this was not a fluke. It so happens that I followed 85 years of the history of this black high school from 1870 to 1955 and found that it repeatedly equaled or exceeded national norms on standardized tests. It's Dunbar High School is the name of that school that he's referring to. Doing better than the white schools in town. But not too long after slavery, by the way. One, two generations after slavery. Doing better than the white schools in town. Today, Dunbar High School, 16% of the students are proficient at reading. And only 1% at math. How bad does it have to get before anyone cares? I, like before the system changes, before pitchforks are on fire. How bad can it be? Well, in 2017, there were 13 Baltimore city schools, 13, where not one single student was proficient in math. Not a single student. 13 schools. There were six more schools with only 1% who were proficient in math. So what's that, like two or three kids? This sounds impossible, but it's true. And the parents don't care. They don't care because they're products of the same school system. right? A few generations through the public school system, churning them out, this is what we get. A few generations of not caring, not learning, getting passed through. School stupid, doesn't matter, getting graduating still. right? So they have kids who don't care, and then... They hate school and they graduate, but they have kids who don't care. And then they have kids who don't care and they have kids who don't care. And, and not shockingly at all, the next generation doesn't care either. And here we are. And many of these schools, it's obviously not cool to be smart. And if you try to be smart, you get made fun of. Now, if you think you're in the clear because you don't go to Baltimore City schools, right? You're like, oh, well, don't worry about it. It's like, my kids go to a good public school. I hear this all the time. My kids go to a good public school. You know what that means? All that means is that 70% of the kids in your kid's school can read. Okay, great. But let's, and let's say it's 100% of the kids can read. By the way, that would be my expectation for every school. But sure, let's say 100% can read. You go, your kids go to a good school, right? Well, that says nothing about what they're reading and what they're learning. So we got two problems here. There are schools where no one can read. And then there are schools where they're reading, but they're reading terrible things that you don't want them to be reading. And it's not just the kids who aren't smart. It's even the kids who are, quote unquote, smart. There's an econ professor at Davidson College. He's been teaching pretty much the same econ material since 1972. It's intro to econ. Not much has changed in that class. He says students are performing now worse than ever in his 50 years of teaching. He said the average score on his test is below 50%. He's like, it's not a hard test. He said, kids just don't show up to class. Just don't show up. He said the most common excuse is, I'm not feeling well. He says the other reason why kids don't do well in his class is because it's an economics class and there's not a lot of feelings involved. He said there's not a lot of affirming of opinions that other classes will give. Kids aren't looking for the truth. They're not looking to learn. They're looking for a compliment, a pick-me-up. And aren't you wonderful? You have an opinion. Yeah, oh, good. Good for you. Yeah, but what's the right answer? That's what this professor is looking for. 
We're also not setting up the next generation to do well either with our iPads from the age of like zero. The shows we let babies watch like Coco Melon. And I know this puts me on the wrong side of a lot of parents, but I do not apologize. Coco Melon is crack intentionally. They've made it as addicting as possible. That's the point. It's hyper stimulating. The colors, the speed of how the show moves, every frame is only up for an average of 2.8 seconds. So it's just boom, 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 boom. Bright colors, catchy, terrible songs. It's a constant dopamine hit for your kids. And it entertains them for however long they're numbed out. But then turn it off and the whole world is boring. And then they have a childhood of that and then you send them off to school. What hope do they have? No teacher can be as fantastical as Coco Melon. Feed your kids ice cream all day and broccoli doesn't taste good. By the way, we could do a whole episode on Coco Melon. Netflix bought Coco Melon for $3 billion. B- billion dollars. Coco Melon has 145 million YouTube subscribers on YouTube. It is the second most popular YouTube channel in the world. Behind this, the number one is this uh, channel T Series. It's some Indian uh, music video channel. And India has 1.4 billion people. Number two, Coco Melon. We're going to have a Coco Melon generation. It's going to be awful. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. New York University, the top chemistry professor, was fired just the other day. Why? Because his class was too hard. That was it. It was too hard. He said students were misreading exam questions at an astonishing rate. He literally wrote the organic chemistry textbook. And students were misreading the questions. And they fired him because the students are $80,000 a year customers. And the customer's always right. So we have an education system that is broken for the lowest performing kids. We have a system that is broken for the middle and higher performing kids. And we have a culture that is not setting up the next generation for success either. How do we get here? One of my 
theses in life as we explore through this podcast is that uh, we as a nation used to believe in God. And with that came a bunch of other great things too, a whole Judeo-Christian basket of wonderful things. Intellectuals came in and thought that they could get rid of God, but keep all the other good things. As it turns out, you can't do that. You get rid of God, you also get rid of all the Judeo-Christian ethics and values that go with it. That shouldn't have been a surprise, but we're feeling all of that right now. And one of those values that's in the Bible is being smart. There's this nonsense of a lie out there that to be a Christian is to be naive or ignorant or stupid or turn off your brain. It's not what the Bible says. Being smart is a Christian virtue. Let's start with Proverbs 1. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Proverbs 10, 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. You deserve a beating. You're so stupid. It's a good thing to be smart. It's a Christian value. It's a Christian virtue to be smart. You throw God away. You lose a lot of things. All right, let's lament. Let's lament about this. It pains me pains me how uneducated we are and to know the lengths that people used to go to read or to learn to read Josiah Henson you've heard of me talk about him before he was a slave he was 13 when he wanted to learn how to how to read so there was another slave that his job one of his jobs was to drive the wagon to pick up the master's kid from school and this slave, over the years, was able to pick up a couple things about reading just by hearing the boy talk to his dad about his day at school. So the slave was able to, to know, he knew something and was willing to teach Josiah the things he knew. And Josiah was over the moon thrilled. So he went and bought a dictionary from the store downtown when he went to the market one day. And he had this dictionary and he kept it in his hat. And one day he was getting the master's horses ready. And one of the horses started to run away and Josiah ran after it and his hat fell off and the dictionary fell on the ground. And the master said, what is this? Josiah said, it's a spelling book. Whose is it? Mine. Where did you get it? Bought it, sir. When I went to market, how much was it? 11 cents. Where did you get the money? I sold some apples out of our orchard. Our orchard? I'll teach you to get apples from our orchard for such a vile purpose. Give me that book. And he smacked him over the head with a cane. So you want to be a fine gentleman, do you? Remember, if you meddle with a book again, I'll knock your brains out. Josiah had a scar on his head for the rest of his life 
from that day, and he did not open a book again until he was 42 years old. The lengths that Josiah Henson went to learn to read, and now kids today have access to all the learning they could fathom, anyone could fathom, that, that more access to learning than anyone's ever had. And they don't take it. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, You'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a eighth grade test in a small school in Kansas in 1895. Okay, let's do a uh, math question here. District number 33 has a valuation of $35,000. What is the necessary levy to carry on a school seven months at $50 per month and have $104 for incidentals? Let's do a couple of history ones. Relate the causes and results of the Revolutionary War. These are eighth graders. You ask literally college students what the Revolutionary War is, who we fought the Revolutionary War against, and they wouldn't be able to tell you. No, I'm not kidding. Describe three of the most prominent battles of the rebellion. Who are the following? Morse, Whitney, Fulton, Bell, Lincoln, Penn, and Howe. Name events connected with the following dates. 1607, 1620, 1800, 1849, 1865. I was in the beginning of the public education system when they said dates don't matter. Oh, we don't need to ask kids to understand dates. <laughs> and that's why uh, you ask kids to name the order of wars. They wouldn't be able to tell you which came first. They wouldn't even tell you which came first, World War I or World War II. How can they really understand anything then? This was eighth grade. In 1895, you ask college kids today how many states there are, and they don't know how far we've come. And, and I think also our founding fathers were educated at home or in one-room schoolhouses with no iPads or anything. And, and listen, read how they write and, and obviously how they think. Wow, how far we've fallen. Okay. That's enough lamenting. <laughs> Let's give a little perspective. 
today, our culture says that if you're a scientist, you are not to believe in God. The belief is that science and Christianity are mutually exclusive things, and that is nonsense. It has always been a belief in God that inspired so many people to become scientists, to try to learn about his creation. Isaac Newton, one of the greatest mathematicians and physicists of all time, maybe the greatest scientist ever, 1600s. He spent more time as a theologian. No one ever talks about that. He would often sign his letters in Latin and say, God created everything by number, weight, and measure. That's how he would sign off his letters. In his greatest work ever, let me quote a little bit. He says, it follows that the true God is a living, intelligent, and powerful being. And from his other perfections, he is supreme and most perfect. He is eternal and infinite, omnipotent and omniscient. That is, his duration reaches from eternity to eternity, his presence from infinity to infinity. He governs all things and knows all things that are or can be done. God is the same God always and everywhere. And it goes on, like pages and pages and pages. Uh, and, and therefore, his conclusion of all this is, let's go learn more about his creation. He's a God of order. We talked about that in an episode, uh, like an episode or two ago. He's a God of order. Let's figure it out. One of the top mathematicians in the world today, David Galertner, he's, from, he's at Yale University. He used to believe in evolution, but he said it's mathematically impossible. So there's, no, there's no way evolution is possible. Right? It's the old, imagine a tornado blowing through an airplane factory, all the pieces of an airplane, and uh, by the end, the tornado goes through, and then uh, it, all the, the wind just, and then it makes an airplane. <laughs> an airplane just is the aftermath of the Like, No, it's impossible. And that doesn't even explain where the parts came from, which no evolutionist can. Darwin's origin of species never even attempts to explain the actual origin of species. It just assumes that they were already there. But the professor at Yale, his point is that you are, especially in university, you are not allowed to say anything bad about evolution. He says, what I've seen in their behavior intellectually and at colleges across the West is nothing approaching free speech on this topic at all. It's a bitter, fundamental, angry, outraged rejection of creation which comes nowhere near scientific or intellectual discussion. I've seen that happen again and again. He says, I am attacking their religion evolution, and I don't blame them for being all head up. It's a big issue for them. He says, you take your life in your hands to challenge evolution intellectually. They will destroy you if you challenge it. The atheist and Darwinist view, or will say that uh, Christians are stupid full of faith. But to say that animals evolved over millions of years to what we have today and somehow to us, <laughs> to me, that's quite a leap of faith. As much, if not a larger leap of faith than believing in God and creation. But my point is the Bible doesn't tell you to turn off your brain. Quite the opposite. Proverbs fourteen fifteen: The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Think, use your brain. God demands it. If I may recommend one of the most pivotal books in my becoming a Christian, it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I've, I've handed out a dozen of them 
uh, to people. Also, a quick note, I suppose, that the Catholic Church started the concept of universities. And here in America, the Ivy League schools in America, they were all seminaries. They were all Christian seminaries, except for Cornell, which was started in 1865. But that's my point. That's about when this division took place that said, uh, you know, Christians are idiots who belong over there. And it's the smart atheist scientists who are doing all the important work. All right, what do we do with all this? What do we do with this? What is in my control? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You set the culture of your home. I beg of you. Well, we'll save Coco Melon for another day. Read books together. Read them as a family. It's reading time. That's what we do. This is what we do. We love to read books as a family. We all sit down on the couch and read books. Make it your culture. It's just what we do. It's who we are. We read books. I'm telling you, in today's culture and certainly in the future, reading books, if you, if your kids read books, you, they will have a superpower. They will be superhuman just because they can read, can read, let alone do read, and everything good that comes from that. Read books. Value being smart. God gave you a brain. He wants you to use it. Impress this on your kids. And then, of course, more important than knowledge even is wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear means, uh, we should do an episode on this, uh, fear means respect uh, and awe, awe of his greatness, awe of his creation. If you have little kids or kids of any age, one of the best things you can do is be in awe of everything, <laughs> awe of God's creation. Like, wow. Look at all those stars. Unbelievable. You know, the Bible says that God placed each one of them. Look at, look at this tree. This tree is amazing. And just everything all the time. Like God's creation, it's amazing he did this. Oh, why did he make this animal? Look at this. This animal's crazy. So that's Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's not be fools. There's enough of them out there already. And a foolish thing, if I may, is a sentence that's very popular today. And that is, I believe in science. I talked to Dennis Prager about this the other day. Dennis Prager, by the way, author of uh, a series of books called The Rational Bible. And it's, it's excellent. Got them right here. They're downstairs. Uh, and it, it goes line by line through Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. And his whole premise is that believing in God and believing in the Bible is rational. This is, this is rational. We can rationally explain everything in the Bible, every word of it. And that's what he does. Uh, with his series of books. It's very good. Anyway, I talked to him about this idea of, I believe in science. I'll, I'll give you one example, the worship of science. I believe in science. Very common statement. So I'd like to ask anybody who says, I believe in science, I have a question. Tell me one moral law you learn from science. What does science tell you to, does, what does science tell you to love your neighbor as yourself? Of course not. Does science give you any meaning in life? Of course not. Science is a great tool. It's not a guide to life. It's worthless. Oh, goodness. Science is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. But to what end? For what purpose? To reveal what? 
used to be as a way to worship God. So what do we do now? What do we, uh, what do, what do we think about? How do we end this? What's a final thought to meditate on and think about? I just thank God for my brain. And I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use it. And I'm going to raise my kids to have the discipline to sit still and focus and study and to have a desire to learn no matter what other kids may be making fun of them for. Like now, like I, it's cool to be smart. I'm going to learn stuff. And to learn about creation as a way of worshiping. And, and for us all to be inspired by the world's greatest scientists who wanted to do the same thing. We're not going to waste our brains. It's cool to be smart. Thanks for being here. Please uh, subscribe if you haven't already. This podcast, it's growing. It's thriving. Oh, I'm so incredibly grateful. Thank you for spreading the word and sharing it to, to friends and family. And those reviews help. I don't know why it's the algorithm. And the more reviews than... The algorithm's like, oh, this is really popular, and they give it to more people. So please leave a five-star review and, and a quick sentence, and uh, we can keep this party going. Super grateful for you. Thank you so much. Politics by Faith. Mike Slater. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.